0: This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. Welcome. This is David Greenwald with Everyday Injustice. And uh, we have three attorneys that are working on a very interesting case down in San Luis Obispo. Uh, which I actually have a connection to San Luis Obispo as I grew up there and also graduated from Cal Poly uh, a long time ago. Um, So last summer uh, in the small college town, uh, which is located about 10 miles from the coast and about halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco, uh, there was uh, a site of uh, Black Lives Matter protests. And some of them resulted in traffic getting blocked and protesters going on the freeway. And in one incident, a car apparently uh, losing patience ran into one of the protesters. And it turned out to be that the protester was the one charged rather than the driver. Uh, the defendants in this case, Tiana Arada and uh six co-defendants face a number of charges, the most serious being felony false imprisonment and felony conspiracy. I was kind of watching this case uh, from a distance uh, for some time, but in the past week, having had a video come out that showed the DA and CHP were lying about a key incident, the time was right. And um, we have here a, a portion of the legal team on the show. Um, so, uh, welcome to the show and Curtis, you want to introduce yourself and uh, your team here.
1: Yeah, good morning, David. And I just want to thank your listeners for their role. You know, your podcast and and your publication is really important to social justice in the state and uh, we really appreciate your time and interest. My name is Curtis Briggs. I am one of the attorneys for Tiana Arata. She was the primary person arrested and targeted by slow police department and she's been basically the focal point of uh, dan dow the district attorney down there and uh, so i represent her and i am honored to share this platform with two very aggressive attorneys from Five law offices brian ford and vince barrientos and they when they heard about these injustices and um, essentially what happened is um We took a very aggressive legal position on behalf of Tiana Arata because of the level of injustice and racism involved. So we decided to push really hard and uh, against the DA's office and the police and what happened in response, they retaliated by charging many other uh, uh, protesters that day. And what they wanted to do primarily was charge people who weren't black uh, so that they could say that they weren't racist and that would have left us with no defense attorneys, but uh, Brian Ford and Vince Barrientos graciously stepped up pro bono and have been aggressively advocating on behalf of some of the other co-defendants. And there's other attorneys involved as well, but they weren't able to make it today.
0: So um, can you kinda, I I gave a very cursory overview, but uh, um, can you describe in a more detailed way what exactly took place and then what the charges are?
1: Sure. The context here is that in March, of course, many of us get locked down and uh, across the country, everybody's fighting COVID. Cal Poly is a college town. It's got a very active student body and it has a very active civil rights, um, I guess, citizenship. You know, people people in in San Luis Obispo are are active and involved and they're not afraid to go out and dance and have rallies and, and events to celebrate civil rights and other things. And so that's kind of the context. And then in May, George Floyd gets murdered on national television. And it's appalling to many of these students and young people in San Luis Obispo And my client Tiana Rada is a young, beautiful, bright, charismatic black woman. She's been active in social justice. She's a college student. She is a model and she is um, kind of a default leader just, just because she's um, outspoken and uh, you know, just kind of has this magnetic personality. And so her and and several of her friends decided that they were going to participate in demonstrations against police violence in honor of George Floyd. And they, they had been doing so. And this organic movement kind of took hold and evolved and there was protests going on all over this little sleepy college town in San Luis Obispo. And the police were trying to trying to work with them the best they could, I guess, to the best of the law enforcement's abilities and there was a lot of respect by the protesters. There was never any violence. There was never any looting. There was never any you know, crime being committed. Uh, at best, there was some blocking traffic at times based on their, their protest routes, but generally they were coordinating with law enforcement, which is something we don't see very often in what's called like a protest across the the country. They don't typically, you don't protest law enforcement and then work with law enforcement right so so there was a ton of respect there was a lot of peace and these demonstrations were joy-filled for the most part there was dancing and singing um there was you know a little bit of aggressive language a little bit of chanting Fuck the police i mean there was there was things like that you know but that was about the extent of it and on this particular protest i'll just kind of give a a general overview and brian and vince have better information even than i do but generally what happens is um a driver of a of a car gets aggressive he gets violent Um, he's agitated and interacting with these protesters he's in his car he's kind of driving through and one thing leads to another. He tries to run over. He does actually run over a, a protester. Uh, I think that's Vince's client and um, someone at some point trying to stop him because uh, Vince's client, potentially another person are, are actually Vince's clients on the hood of the car. And uh, Vince cut in if I'm if I'm wrong about anything. And as this driver of this vehicle who's threatened these people with a gun who's driven through the crowd as he's driving through the crowd with vitz's client on his hood uh, uh somebody smashes the rear window of his car with a skateboard trying to stop him from driving off and this this happens and the police chief's very upset and essentially let me tell you how and why my client got arrested because she had been texting the police chief and coordinating this event and when the police chief via text message tried to blame her for what happened in that car which tiana had nothing to do with uh what happened with that that um that driver, you know, hitting Vince's client, and Tiana had no control over that, you know, had nothing to do with her. And then there's this text message exchange. And somebody points out to Tiana with her with Tiana's phone, hey, the police chief, you know, is basically accusing you of being responsible for this. And my client says, fuck her. Well, this is all on a Instagram live stream and not only is there drones from the police overhead but my client's own instagram live stream picks this up and the police are listening to that and this police chief could not handle that so she decides that she's going to arrest tiana so so in my opinion and i believe at trial we will prove that tiana was arrested for saying "fuck deanna control you know that's essentially what she did and when she was falsely accused of something via text message. So they end up trying, the police under police chief Deanna uh organization and, and, and direction arrest Tiana Rada. The arresting officers do not know why they're arresting her. The arresting officer, Tiana asked why she was being arrested and he said, we don't know yet. and. When the dust clears, they charge or they try to recommend charges for felony vandalism to the car that where the window was broken, um, inciting a riot, conspiracy, obstructing traffic, a, a bunch of false imprisonments. Right? They, they try to say every time a car would slow down or stop, that there was a that was a false imprisonment. And, and there's some details I I left out, uh, you know, that I think that Brian and and Vince are going to cover. Um, but from the, from the, the larger view, what happens is we find out she's arrested. The public immediately starts to raise money for, her. she gets out, believe she has to bail out, you know, it's during COVID it's, it's a scary time. We, we understood less about COVID. So she's in jail. The cops aren't wearing masks. And uh, the police chief starts to go on kind of a public relations campaign against this um, 20-year-old Black girl. 20-year-old Black girl, she, she doesn't have two cents to her name. She devotes her entire life to school and to uh, trying to, uh, trying to um, advance the civil rights movement and be a, a positive leader. And uh, the entire resources and attention is, is focused on her. And we, we interview this this driver of this car. So, no, let me back up. We're reading in a paper what the police think. The police are saying that they assaulted this driver, that they they were dangerous, that this is all at Tiana's direction. No other people are, are mentioned or arrested. And in fact, no other people are really interviewed. And the police just drive this narrative forward and when we contact the bmw driver he tells us hey i i'm not a victim of anything i don't want to press any charges and there was i'm not giving a damage amount to my vehicle like it's fine and so that's what he tells us and and then he goes and hires an attorney Writes Dan Dow a letter and said basically it's a cease and desist letter, and and he's trying to get Dan Dow to stop calling him a victim. Stop, uh, you know he'll he'll cooperate, but you know, essentially to stop the narrative. So we're realizing, wow, this is really a false narrative. We haven't seen police reports, we haven't seen any evidence, and she hasn't been charged yet. So we jump in with what's called a pre-charge packet, and we get you know I'd say a hundred letters in support of of Tiana and. My local counsel Patrick Fisher is meeting with the the DA and the DA's promise to review that stuff because we just don't see any felony conduct and we're hearing in the papers that they're accusing her of felony conduct. Then we hear from one of the people that wrote the letters who's um, on the board of a public institution down there. They, she wrote a letter on behalf of Tiana and then she We heard from that person who I'm trying to be uh, careful about their identity, but we heard from them, hey, can you pull our letter from my board's letter from the packet because um, we've been informed we're on the wrong side of Dan Dow on this issue and we don't want any problems. So we start to see that this is much more of a, it's much more like dealing with a racketeering organization than it is a district attorney's office. So we're still really starting to feel the flavor of that at this point, and and, and keep in mind, you know, Tiana is a twenty-year-old black activist. You know, she's really shouldn't be this big of a threat to that to that organization. So we see enough to know there's misconduct. They charge her, end up with ten misdemeanors for uh, obstructing traffic, false imprisonment. Um, I think they have her for the vandalism. I I I have to double check. I forget what happened to that because it's so bizarre that that she would even be implicated in vandalism where she wasn't she wasn't the person that was involved with that physical act, um, inciting a riot. And so you know, she gets charged, and and we now you know know we've talked to enough witnesses and enough people to know. Uh, the legal terminology for this is the case is total bullshit. This case is fabricated. They are they are doubling down on a really bad hand. And so we know that and we appear in court. And, you know, by the way, your listeners should know that this is the first case I've ever been a part of where as, as I'm walking to the courthouse, um, you know, one of the world's famous... Rappers, you know, hip hop artist is is on uh, on the phone on FaceTime with my client uh, telling her everything's going to be okay. I mean, this is kind of a tradition for them. uh, Before court and as we we walk within blocks of the slow courthouse we hear drums and music and chanting and this is every time we show up and then we turn the corner and we're met by, you know, 300 people, a majority of them white. uh, A lot of them in middle aged. And they're all chanting and cheering for Tiana and they're cheering uh, for this cause. And, and so we, we have a lot of support. I realized that the police chief here is the probably the most responsible person uh, for, for the injustice. So I call for her resignation. She immediately takes to a press conference, refuses to resign. And the next day she puts in her um, her resignation says she's leaving for fairfield police department which is um you know basically a couple hours away and so she she leaves you know she she basically vaporizes so um i don't know if anyone's seen the meme of homer simpson kind of trying to blend into the bushes and disappear but uh (laughs) that's basically what she does and then we end up pressing pretty hard against dan dow and and that's when they retaliate by charging um, Mr. Lastra, which is uh, Brian Ford's client, and Mr. Grocott, and several others. And um, and once they get involved, and they look at their discovery, we realize this is a, a this is not, This is a criminal enterprise. The the slow police department and slow DA's office is a criminal enterprise the way that they're approaching this case there's perjury there's fabrication there's um uh, contrived arrest based on on zero evidence and and not only that there's people who actually did wrong against the protesters and they're they're being treated like victims when there's a sufficient probable cause to arrest these people for assault with a deadly weapon etc we all join in and file a motion to disqualify Dan Dow's office, and and basically, that's a long shot. But we're we're telling uh, the court that Dan Dow's office is is not qualified, uh, you know, not honest enough. Basically, not uh, doesn't have enough integrity and protection to prosecute the case, and and we win that. And one of the things that one of the reasons we win, and this is, I think. I'm gonna end with this for the for the for the description and then let, let Brian and Vince talk. But I think this is the the most important flavor or lens to look at this case from. The judge finds that Dandow's wife, a day before they filed formal charges against Tiana, after it'd been in the paper for months, sends an email from Dandow's campaign. For district attorney for re-election, and in this email, she's um, essentially saying that Dan Dow is the poster boy and a champion of the right, the extreme right, and that Tiana Arada and Black Lives Matter. She's implying that Tiana and Arada and Black Lives Matter are Marxist organizations and she asked for money for Dan Dow. and it and, and that is what gets Dan Dow disqualified because Dan Dow is trying to pimp out his, his situation. He's trying to pimp out these kids in the community who are fighting for civil rights. And he's essentially trying to pimp them out so that he can build his campaign coffers and advances political career. And that is the heart and soul and definition of corruption.
0: And it's pretty incredible because here you have a group of activists fighting for black lives and and then you have a DA that is trying to exploit that by persecuting uh, the protesters. And it seems like uh, the DA is inadvertently proving their point.
1: You can't make this stuff up, you know, you can't, uh, you know, it's, it's to the point. I mean, we, we just summarized this, but you know, we, we've, we've, we've grappled with them enough to see that um, they are intentionally violating the law to cater to their extreme right base intentionally. It, there's no more accidents here they've they've either they either the most incompetent district attorney's office in the country which that that that's possible but i, I honestly doubt it because uh, the the district attorneys that i'm seeing in this case are, are skilled attorneys they're either the most incompetent da's office in the country or they are uh intentionally violating the law uh flouting court orders and they're trying to send a message to to uh they're trying to send a, a, a double-sided message. They're trying to send a message to their base that, hey, we're gonna advance this platform no matter what. And we're talking about you know, 1% to 5% of the population that's just dangerously racist. That's their base. That's the one that they're trying to, to play to. And they're trying to send a message to the, the San Luis Obispo courts that they're not gonna listen, that there's now a power struggle between the court and the DA's office and the court should always win and, you know, theoretically speaking, the way our system's set up, but uh, Dandaw's office is indignant and they want to send a message that they will not listen, they will not cooperate. And um, you know it's it's a very scary scenario and it's an, uh, it's a great test to see how uh, democracy in our court system will work here. Um, and you know, uh,
0: one other kind of thematic, um, comment question I mean you know I was kind of watching this from afar and kind of had a sense of this case but uh, you know in the last week I've really dug into the case uh, in a way I hadn't previously and I'm just kind of baffled uh, because you know we're, we're talking about a single incident of a property crime uh, uh, which was the skateboard to the back of the window and nothing else. I mean, I don't see a riot. Um, I don't see uh, anything that even resembles felony conduct, uh, unless you want to call the damage to the back of the window uh, a felony vandalism. Uh, I see nothing here. Uh, why is the, I mean, well, you've answered why, but uh, I mean, in my mind, th- this is a whole bunch of nothing.
1: yeah, it's it's not a, uh, I'm actually gonna, I want Brian and Vince to talk, you know, let me tell you why Brian and Vince's perspective is so important because I was exactly where you're at. What you just said is where I was at until they came into the case and they started to look at it through the lens of their clients. And, and that was the most uh, revealing thing. And, you know, let, let them, uh, kind of tell you a little bit about why why their clients are innocent uh, because that's really the um, to me the department of the federal department of justice needs to convene a grand jury on the san luis obispo district attorney's office that really needs to happen because once you hear from brian events how their clients were arrested and what they were arrested for you'll see that this is This is a, this is a criminal conspiracy on on behalf of the district attorney's office.
0: So let's
2: bring in Brian here. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having us on. Um, So I represent Robert Loster Jr. And uh, he's, he's the only defendant out of a whole bunch in both of these cases. And, and they charged uh, Curtis's client uh, Tiana Rada prior to charging uh, my client, Vince's client, and, and a third defendant as well. Um, what, what's interesting about the charges is clearly they went after my client, they went after Vince's client, and they went after uh, the third one simply so that they could continue to find ways to justify and attack uh, Miserata uh, Essentially, this entire case is a conspiracy to go after one defendant who's not particularly liable for anything, who didn't really do anything, but she's a figurehead. And this becomes a symbolistic sort of prosecution because of that. But they come after my client, uh, they, they don't even figure out who he is and charge him until October. It's uh, a number of months after Miss Serrata was charged uh, in, in her case. And they charge him with the only felony that they can try and stick on anyone. Because again, uh, what we're talking about is a, a group of hundreds of protesters. There's no tie at all between Mr. Rada and Mr. Lastra, Mr. Lastra and Mr. Grocott, Mr. Grocott and Mr. Like none of these people actually know each other. My client's actually from a town almost a half hour up the road. He's just been following all the Black Lives Matter protests and demonstrations that are going in San Luis Obispo and as uh, Mr. Briggs mentioned, you know, uh, it, it was a beautiful moment in civil rights history. He was inspired, and he wanted to stand on the side of justice. So he goes down there and he takes part in this protest. And essentially, there's this interaction with a BMW driver. Now, what strikes me about this is, this is not a very unique situation when you look at uh, the the protests that were popping up all over the country in the wake of George Floyd's killing and and all of the continued murders of black bodies. uh, What you saw was pedestrian protesters uh, putting their body out there on the line to demonstrate in, in front of a cause, and then a car being used as a weapon, a weaponized vehicle. Uh, This image has played out over and over and over and over again throughout these protests I I saw a recent report that said something like 130 black lives matter protesters were struck in incidents like this. And, you know, from my lay perspective when I look across the jurisdictions I look at these various incidents of of cars on pedestrian sort of violence uh, in almost every jurisdiction. The district attorney or the prosecutorial agency will look at the driver of that car and they'll charge him with some form of an assault or an attempted murder, even. Uh, There's actually a case that I saw uh, not too long ago down in Los Angeles where it was actually a Black Lives Matter protester who uh, became, uh, she felt that she was scared, I guess, and drove uh, at or through a crowd of uh, Trump protesters. And she got charged with an attempted murder. Yeah, this is a fairly common sense notion in our law that if you have a, a multi-thousand pound vehicle that's motorized, has all this power of steel and combustible engines, and you use that vehicle to impact a human body, you know, the interests of justice tend to try and put people back. You would take the side of the person who is struck and you would look at the driver and try and figure out what happened there. What, 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 what problem do we need to address in that court? In this instance, this driver, without any provocation, uh, without even being stopped for, I I would say, less than 10 seconds even. uh, you know, And he's from out of town. He's on vacation. He's in a hurry to get to his hotel so he can check in. He comes across these protesters. And instead of waiting for it to to clear, instead of uh, deferring to the protest or taking any sort of reasonable action, he decides to get off the. Side of the road into the dirt and drive through protesters' bodies, pedestrians, uh, and it's all on drone video. It's high definition. The video is so clear, and it's uh, it's been released. It's in the media. Everyone can see it. Uh, but the the definition of this video is so clear. You can see this driver shaking his fist at the window at the protesters right before he plows into uh, Vince's client there and takes him on a ride on his hood. You know, and all of this is unprovoked. Uh, So you take a look at those set of facts, you take a look at that evidence, Uh, you take a look at a recorded statement that he gave to a motorcycle cop immediately after, where he essentially uh, confesses to having the necessary intent for an attempted murder. I mean, he knew, he knew that this was a deadly act that he was taking, he knew the risk to human life. And he said that he was in a position where he was thinking it was him versus them, And he falsely says that a skateboard broke his window before he floors it, but you can see it in the video. It's all there. It's clear as day. It's incontrovertible. He floored it. He went through the skateboard, came through after. It was an act of self-defense. But so you turn back to the prosecutor's perspective. And this is important because the prosecutors, the prosecutorial agencies, they're imbued with a discretion that we don't have on the defense side. You know. we're, we're defined constitutionally to some extent, the the defense bar, but the discretion to charge uh, that power resides in the prosecutorial agency, the executive and so you, you see these sort of abuses of discretions, the way that they're playing out in this case. There's this abuse of discretion in taking the side of drivers over pedestrians. And this isn't the only case in San Luis Obispo where that happened. There's another one that I've seen video of where a man on a motorcycle plowed into a Black Lives Matter protester in the middle of a crosswalk. And it's my understanding that after some months of consternation, a misdemeanor or something was thrown at that motorcyclist. But for the longest time, they were looking the other way. And when you have the top law enforcement agent, the district attorney in your county, essentially declaring that it's open season on protesters, uh, you know, just go out there and run them over, you know, that's sending a very clear message and that's the abuse of discretion. But all of this was based in an effort to smear Black Lives Matter. And we can see that because of the way that they went after Miss arata and we can see that because of the way that they're abusing their discretion and this dichotomy between drivers and pedestrians. Why are they so, like this felony that my client is charged with is only a felony because the windscreen that he broke was on a BMW. If this were on a less expensive car, it would be misdemeanor conduct, but they don't have any other felonies that they can throw out there. So why are they saying that? It's because felony is a scary word. And now they can say these Black Lives Matter protesters uh, were violent and committed felonies, everything that they said in the media in the months leading up to the charges of my client, Mr. Barrientos's client, and, and the third one, Mr. Hill, you know, like all of this is an effort to smear Black Lives Matter, it's an effort to discredit this beautiful nonviolent movement that was inspiring youth across the county, across the state, across the country. And furthermore, because of Dan Dow's associations, it create, it perpetuates this false narrative that we've been hearing on the right ever since the protests began, this narrative against Antifa that happened when Trump was president. You know, this false narrative that Antifa is an organized thing, that Black Lives Matter protesters are these violent criminals when we know for a fact almost all of these protests are nonviolent. Uh, so all of these abuses of discretion are, are very intentionally directed and they're directed to smear movement to discredit uh, the progress that's being made by younger generations in this country and you know frankly it's it's a lack of courage on the part of the prosecutorial agencies they could stand up and and do the right thing they have the duty to the attorney general in this case could do that too they're imbued by the california constitution they don't need to have the district attorney recuse to step in and exert some muscle here. Uh, they have a duty to supervise all prosecutorial agencies. So um, this this case has been a beautiful moment in time for me simply because it's so rare that on the defense side, we get to get behind such a noble cause. All the facts are on our side. There's an absolute abuse of discretion. There's no reason why our client should be charged. There's no reason why Miss Arada should be charged. Uh, this is clearly an abuse of discretion. It's politically motivated, and I can't wait to get further into it.
0: So, um, I want to bring Vincent here too. Um, so kind of two questions uh, for you. One is, you know, kind of want to understand, uh, because, uh, you, you filed a pretty aggressive motion. Uh, I think it was last week. Uh, and, um, uh, so, so that's pretty interesting, but, also what, what's interesting is kind of the discrepancy between what the DA said that happened and then what the video showed. So can you kind of unpack, you know, where exactly the DA lied uh, and then uh, kind of your thinking behind the aggressive motion? Yeah, so so I think when we talk about district, Att-
3: district attorney Dan Dow lying, he's kind of more just complicit in his working with local law enforcement, and this kind of ties into what Ms. what Curtis was saying about the conspiracy, because if you go back to right after the incident happened, you had the CHP captain for San Luis Obispo, Craig Kleinberg, go onto the news and get interviewed and give this statement saying that you know there's these violent protesters and and someone jumped on the hood of a car and. And and after they jumped off the hood of the car, the the car had a chance to drive away and a skateboard was thrown through the back window with glass injuring like a young child. And and you have that narrative being put out to the people of San Luis Obispo right off the bat. And then you have the district attorney filing charges afterwards. And that's all the press gets. That's all the citizens get is this, this statement and narrative, despite them having the video the entire time you know, the CHP captain could have released this video, which contradicts what actually happened. And in my position is that it's just wrong on so many levels. And it's, it's unethical. Like, I wouldn't say it's illegal. It should be. To me, that's, that's criminal conduct that isn't actually punishable in, in court, but it should be a crime to, to do that. And I think it's a part of a bigger problem throughout the country where you have law enforcement that has video of crimes that happen, but instead of releasing the video, they will actually fight the press on its release, citing um, active investigation or some other nonsense, directly violating the law that our state passed recently, which requires them to release it and instead put out their own narrative and they can control the press. And and unfortunately, we kind of still live in a society where for the most part, as citizens, we we trust our law enforcement. When you're when I hear a CHP captain or a police chief get in front of a camera and and say that that some person committed a crime, even as a defense attorney, I still you know I kind of I tend to believe them. I trust them that they aren't going to get on television and lie. But, you know, some of them aren't aren't honest. You know, and I don't want to say all oh, law enforcement is bad. There is many amazing law enforcement that, that protect us and keep us safe. I'm not one of these people that thinks all law enforcement is bad and all district attorneys are bad. But in San Luis Obispo, we have some particularly bad a- apples. We have we've allowed these kind of elected officials and and people in power to to kind of get their claws on the system and they're kind of like like it's already been said, they're kind of promoting and and working this little right wing agenda in and it's just not right, and and so that's why I felt it was necessary to to take a more aggressive stance, and and kind of hit back a little bit, and and it wasn't like a personal thing, it's it's a constitutional thing. I have an ethical duty to ensure that my client can receive a fair trial, and and I'm fighting all this negative press, all this false press that's been put out to potential jurors in San Luis Obispo County. So I had an ethical obligation to get out the truth to counter the lies that had been been put out there.
0: Um, Curtis, you had mentioned that, uh, uh, you know, about the recusal. Are you surprised that the judge uh, agreed to
1: recuse the DA's office? It's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm hesitating because I'm trying to remember uh, my reaction to it. And so I can give you like really what I was thinking at that time. I was surprised uh, because I had seen so much misconduct that I had had some doubt as to whether, uh, whether there would be a dramatic difference between Dan Dow and the judiciary down there, right? I, I wasn't, I was starting to wonder if just the whole San Luis Obispo County system had been tainted and um, I hadn't had any previous filings or, or any opportunities to interact with uh, with the judge. And I can tell you that after several days of hearings and argument, I had felt much better, but I didn't expect to to win the disqualification. Uh, I remember after two days of arguing in front of Judge Guerrero, I had, I'd, had an interaction um, with with my client where essentially I had said wow you know we are getting our due process here he's listening to us but i didn't expect it to be granted because it is so extreme you know for 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 a judge to make that statement about a da in a small town i mean it's 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 embarrassing For everyone down there that practices law, whether the lawyers or defense or prosecution or judges, you know, having to recuse a DA, having to disqualify a DA in in a town like that is, it's, it's, um, you know, there's a part of me, I, I don't have the exact words for it. There's part of me that actually feels sorrow for everyone involved because DAs have so much latitude to operate that they don't always have to be operating honestly in my eyes, I'm a defense attorney. A judge will generally give them a lot of leeway. And when a judge, you know, I could see the look on Judge Guerrero's face that this decision was painful for him. And, and that's why I didn't uh, celebrate. Because at that point, I realized just how serious of a problem dandao is for for that community, that, um, that we had to, to do what we did. But, it, you know, it's almost like, um, you know, taking an animal's life so that your family can eat, or, you know, there, there was just an element of, of loss that, that was, prevalent in the courtroom you know um because of that decision it, it just was very 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 dark the implications so yeah i was surprised i was surprised um that that he did grant it although i had felt it was warranted or i you know that look there's things that because of time and resources did not make it into that motion that would have made it even stronger so it was definitely a great decision uh, as far as I think it was legally sound. I think it was morally correct, but you know, it's just really a strange thing to be a part of, you know, a part of me wants to go back and treat this like a case where I could just be accusing the DA of something and, 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 and they'll straighten out and we'll get through it. And, you know, this case is just represents a very, very ugly underbelly of America where People with certain motivations and interests have hijacked the uh, the law enforcement leadership, and it's 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 like more like going to a funeral. You know, it's this is very sad to see.
0: Well, and I, I mentioned this to you before we got on the air here. Uh, you know, I've only seen um, in my fifteen years of doing this twice where a, a DA's office has been recused from a case. The other case being the Orange County informant scandal, uh, which was a huge deal. Um, and uh, there's an interesting common denominator in both cases, uh, because in both cases, the local judge recused the DA's office. And then the supposedly uh, Democratic AG that's supposed to be a reformer uh, comes in and takes the side of the DA's office. And, and that's exactly what's happening here. Can you? Talk about what the AG's office is doing here.
1: The California Attorney General's office is a cancer on our criminal justice system. They are bastardizing it. They play games. You know, if you, we hoped when we disqualified Dan Dow that we would get an Attorney General with some perspective, some experience, ethics, who would step back and look at this uh, and, and and make some quick, decisive action, uh, specifically dismissing all co-defendants uh, and all other people other than Arata and at minimum getting rid of every charge against Tiana that wasn't involved with obstructing traffic, right? That's the only fair result here. And I'm being generous, you know, to, to, to their side. What we've got is a game playing. Um, let's let me try to maneuver through technicality. Uh, you know, I, th- I th- I think lazy probably makes $200,000 a year and has not adequately looked at this case, uh, poorly reflecting the values of, of the citizens of California. i um, a- absolutely convinced now that if, if this is the way the attorney general's office runs, uh, no wonder California has problems. They, they are, they're awful and I will never again you know hope that an attorney general will come in and change the diaper of a corrupt DA because that's not that's not happening here um this is just very very it, this is sad i mean this this our attorney general his name is william frank he is sitting on top of a, a felonious law enforcement conspiracy to frame uh seven young people who were standing in the street dancing and holding signs uh, protesting police murder of people of color. And and William Frank thinks that anything is acceptable about delaying this prosecution. He, He should be, well, he hasn't done anything criminal yet, but I do believe every DA that's been a part of this case has. Um, But if he is going to look at this evidence and continue to prosecute this, he is also guilty of a crime. No reasonable person, no unreasonable person would look at this and think that there's an actual case there against um, any of any of these people. It's ridiculous. This, this maximum should have been maybe Tiana Rada in traffic court for, for, uh, for jaywalking or something like that. I mean, it, it just, it's unbelievable. I, I'm I'm frustrated with the attorney general's office. I'm very disappointed in them. You know, given the way California positions themselves nationally, as you know this this progressive, you know, albeit you know maybe conservative progressive, you know, a little bit to the left, but um, it's they're 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 complete frauds, and and when you want to. If you want to put that to the test, just deal with the the line attorney general. So I'm, I'm very disgusted with what I'm seeing. However, the good news is we will mop the floor with them at trial, period. There's not going to be a discussion about plea bargains. We have the facts on our side. We will go to trial. We will put the attorney general's office through hell and we will embarrass them. And if that's what it takes to get them to take these types of cases seriously and approach them differently, then we'll just add that to the benefits of, of of taking on this cause.
0: And you know, one of the things that you know keeps flashing back, you know, um, we were covering uh, you know Sacramento up here, and there's all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, in fact, one of our reporters got shot in the face with a, a rubber bullet and suffered a very serious concussion uh trying trying to cover uh what was happening in 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 sacramento there's a whole lot of nothing that happened in san luis obispo and yet um you know they're they're charging this criminally most of uh, the other areas i've been talking to da's all over the country oh yeah unless they're involved in property damage we're, we're not even taking these cases uh what's going on here
1: Dan, I Dan was praying that there was property damage. I mean, they 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 wish there was one store window broken. You know, they were really hoping that Black Lives Matter protesters, and when I say Black Lives Matter protesters, I'm talking about moms and dads and white people. And I mean, it's such a diverse crowd. Um, they wish they would have, have broke a, a storefront window or done anything criminal, but, but they didn't. And I, I want, you know, Brian and Vince to jump in here. Just just real quick, you know, when we're talking about Dan Dow being a kind of
3: right wing extremist, we didn't really even touch on. I mean, Curtis just kind of touched on the surface, you know, when he mentioned the letter written by Dan Dow's wife looking for funding. I mean, there's a long list of of things that he's done kind of proving and showing his his ties to the right wing kind of extremists. And, you know, for example, what what really struck me was his support of Candace Owens, you know, he attended a rally with Candace Owens and Candace Owens, something like, you know, Black Lives Matter is the most, I think, racist movement ever, or one of the most racist movements ever. And then you see Dan Dow going on Twitter and saying, wow, like what a strong role model for women. And and Candace Owens really speaks the truth, you know? I mean, how can you say that the Black Lives Matter movement is one of the most racist movements our country's ever seen? I mean, what about the, the KKK? Like, are you saying that protesting in support of black lives is, is more racist than hanging black people from trees? I mean, that's the kind of district attorney that we're dealing with in San Luis Obispo. And, and I don't know, I, half the time I'm just speechless. This is crazy to me. And I think you're bringing up a good point. When, when you're asking, hey, why is this going on there, but no other charges are being filed across the country? That's why.
0: Yeah, but, uh, I, you know, and, and I, I got to come back to this point, uh, especially now that, you know, we're going to be facing another appointment for the AG's office. The AG is like doubling down on this.
2: Well, that's something I worry or wonder about, you know? I mean, Like, where is Mr. Becerra in his confirmation process for the Department of Health and Human Services? Or why isn't he looking at this case? And, you know, like, if not him, then who is going to? You know, because like, uh, sure, defense attorneys play this important constitutional role. But, you know, these sort of findings are hard to get. These wins are hard to get. And when you've got an attorney general who instead of taking a look at the case when he was ordered to take a look at all the McGee and Armstrong discovery about discriminatory prosecutions of Black Lives Matter and other Black organizations compared to other organizations. And instead of doing anything, yeah, I mean, like maybe he's lazy. He files the notice of appeal and then pretends like he can't do anything in violation of his constitutional definition, the Constitution that defines his job. You know, and by filing that notice of appeal, he robs our ability to go to trial with a a district attorney who's uh, impartial. You know, like that's why the recusal motion is there. There was a conflict found. Uh, Judge Guerrero was very, very, very uh, succinct and he based his order in fact. He cited an email. There's no way to get around the fact. That Dan Dowell was personally conflicted in this uh, prosecution, and as a result of his position in the office and the size of the office, and even some of the comments made by some of the other prosecutors in the office. Uh, the entire office had to be disqualified so it's, it's incumbent on the Attorney General now to represent the people of California to do their duty and see justice done. And instead he files a notice of appeal that's going to rob these defendants of their ability to go to trial in a fair and impartial way a constitutional trial uh, against a prosecution that's not going to deprive them of their fair, uh, their right to a fair trial. And they're going to kick it out for months. That's when we win. I mean, what about if we lose, (laughs) you know, uh, this. This whole system is very wacky in that regard. Uh, but as Kurt says, you know, it's it's a slow process. Uh, but we're going to mop the floor with them. We've got all the facts on our side. I mean, they file a notice of appeal and it delays our ability to take this to a jury for some amount of months. Uh, but it's not going to change that drone video that shows that that BMW driver tried to kill Vince's client intentionally with a motor vehicle. You know, like. There's no getting past that basic fact. There's no getting past the fact that you can't criminalize uh, 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 the, the struggle for equality that's happening in this country. Like this struggle has been going on for a very, very long time. And they've always criminalized Black lives. They've always criminalized Black thought, Black speech, and uh, any effort to move the, the, the movement forward. And that's all this is. Dan Dow just happens to be this, uh, the mouthpiece of the right in California in terms of a prosecutorial position. But because he's imbued with that discretion, because that's such a powerful position where he gets to decide whose lives he's going to upturn with a criminal charge, a criminal charge that could permanently affect someone's future, right? And he's doing this to to young kids who are all about in their young 20s. My client, I think, is 22, Kurtz is uh, 20. You know, I I mean, we're talking about kids in their prime. They should be going to college. They should be getting scholarships, and they're out there actually doing amazing things with this protest. But Mr. Dow comes along and levies felony charges against them, so he can smear the left, so he can smear the Black Lives Matter movement, And, and for what? To uphold the the radical far right that is constantly uh, pr- promulgating false narratives, attacking COVID safety restrictions, storming the nation's capital. I mean, the, the interests of justice here have got to fall in somewhere. And I think you hit it straight on the head when you ask why the AG isn't doing anything about it. Uh, Mr. Becerra, where are you? That's what I want to know. And if not Mr. Becerra, who's next? Right? And what are they going to do? Because this is tantamount injustice. This is this is every reason why anyone ever went to practice law was to stand up for these demonstrators, these protesters who are out there fighting for Black lives. Uh, I'm on a rant now, but you know you get me going a little hot under the collar. No, it's all good. Um, So you know I I want to unpack these charges a little bit because
0: you know um, you look at felony false imprisonment. They blocked. Their car, and that's felony false imprisonment. Um can uh somebody explain that a little bit?
2: Yeah, the uh, the the way that they charged it, if you look at the complaint, they uh you know, they're again discretion and charges. They they get to write out the complaint that describes the crime. And they could write out the elements, uh, but what they chose to allege was that uh I believe it was that uh other people's freedom of movement was restricted. Yeah, it's like simply the most vague way that they could describe this crime to insinuate that there's some legal basis for it because theoretically a car has a right to the road and a person stands in front of it and therefore prevents their freedom of movement. Ah, their liberty has been offended, right? <laughs> like They can't move, they've been falsely imprisoned. That's their interest in justice here, and as Kurt says, this is this is hundreds of, of young people who are out here dancing in the street, holding up signs, celebrating Black Lives, and there there is a of felony call- charge.
0: They're okay. charging a felony for blocking somebody in the street.
1: There's something better here. There's something better here. This was a law enforcement supported demonstration they had communicated with law enforcement law enforcement blocked more traffic law enforcement blocked off the freeway for these protesters to observe 8 minutes and 46 seconds and this is the best thing there's somebody i, I don't want to say their name because their attorney's not here but there's somebody that's seen on the freeway it's this awesome photo and it's it's the demonstrators and then a CHP officer, he's high-fiving this person who's now charged. So CHP and this person are seen high-fiving as this young black man and his white CHP officer high-fiving one another on the freeway. The police officer in his own report says, I asked him how, what they needed from me, how much time they needed. He said, we're just gonna do eight minutes and 46 seconds in honor of George Floyd. And he says, "I told them, cool." And they, law enforcement, stopped this traffic, right? So, it, their theory of false imprisonment is bizarre. It's it's bizarre. You know, none of our clients had a a, a car. No, none, none of these protesters <clears throat> had a car. They only were 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 standing there, signs and music. But there were many police cars involved, lights and sirens, blocking traffic, escorted the, uh, the um, protesters onto the 101 freeway, right? The, the law enforcement, it, until my client said, fuck Deanna, until my client was on a live stream saying, fuck the police, the police were helping with this protest. To to their credit, they were trying to facilitate this this movement and trying to keep everybody safe and peaceful until my client said, fuck the police chief, and that got publicized. And then the police chief's feelings were so hurt that she turned all of this stuff into crime after the fact. And, And it's really, it's perplexing. There's not one law school in the country that that could come out with any kind of briefing or memo to say that um, stopping traffic and in these circumstances was false imprisonment, period.
0: And the other interesting charge is felony conspiracy, which I think is one of the most abused charges in uh, California. Uh, I can't tell you how many times we've seen uh, felony conspiracy to commit a misdemeanor, which is to me is an oxymoron. so what's the conspiracy here? Conspiracy to block traffic, to commit vandalism, what what was the conspiracy?
2: This is so, a problem with the false narrative that law enforcement threw out there in the beginning, because in actuality, there is no felony conspiracy charge. There's no felony uh, uh, false imprisonment charge. Those are both, the conspiracy never got charged, and the the stopping traffic is charged as misdemeanors. The only felony that was charged is the vandalism, breaking the windscreen on the car. But from the start, law enforcement got out there and said that there was felonious conduct and that they were recommending these charges. And from the start, they pushed that false narrative. And, you know, my my client, Mr. Lastra, gets so upset about this because he's the one who's accused of smashing the windscreen with his skateboard he feels terrible because all of these other demonstrators are continually painted with the same paintbrush of being felonious actors when they're not they're not even charged with felonies they said that they wanted to they said they were going to but they couldn't cuz there's no conspiracy there's no connection there's no agreement to do anything it's a it's a it's an organic thing that happens when these demonstrations go on when they march and you know, and it's like Kurt said, the cops are there leading them out onto the freeway and shutting it down for them. So, you know, if there were going to be a conspiracy, you would have to include the law enforcement because clearly they agreed to lead people onto the freeway. Clearly, they agreed to shut down some traffic for these folks, you know. Um, it, it's just it's disgusting the way that that narrative got out there and tainted the whole thing because my client has been very, very adamant in, in trying to correct that record wherever he can because he feels terrible about it. You know, no, None of these other defendants should, should have that sort of prejudice thrown on them. My client shouldn't have that sort of prejudice thrown on, but it's so tragic that they would try and paint these other demonstrators with the same paintbrush. You know, it, it's a beautiful movement and it's just an absolute abuse of discretion, an absolute abuse of the law. Uh, you know, this case calls out for some justice.
1: What of the uh, protesters? Again, I I don't like to mention um, any person who's charged. I don't like to mention their name without their attorney present, just as a matter of respect. So there's one person that's that's charged with false imprisonment. He's a college professor. He is a person of color. He's he's in charge of like diversity include and inclusion. I think at San Luis Obispo. He's a Ph.D. student. Uh, I, I met his father. I mean, you're talking about a beautiful story of who this, who this man is. Uh, beautiful. Like he, his family immigrated here. He is the American dream in progress. And he's fighting for equality for people of color. And he was holding a sign. And when a car came up to him, he backed up and moved out of the way. This is on video. They charged him him with false imprisonment and he, and he he just moved out of the way and, and he's a community leader i mean just just it none of these people are criminals the conspiracy is the conspiracy is a, just an amazing allegation right because um my client tiana does didn't even know i'd say i think everybody except one person in this entire uh, of these entire people that are charged with crimes. She didn't even know until after the fact, what brought them together is the fact that they were, they were all arrested um, Well, charged, I should say because nobody was I, Tiana was the only one that was technically arrested. Um, so, you know, to have a conspiracy, you have to have an agreement to have an agreement. You have to have some contact with somebody. Of some sort, and there was no contact. There was no, I mean, you're talking about a, a protest that took up, you know, several city blocks and hundreds of people, right? And nobody was really interacting. They were, they were, they were all celebrating and dancing, singing, chanting, things like that. There was no interactions, there was no agreements. And so that conspiracy is just a, a way to slander everybody. Uh, it sounds good, and you know they thought they'd be able to scare people with the with those allegations. But again, it's 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 another example of what Vince is saying. Law enforcement has been using their platform and to spread false information. In this case, we filed a motion for a gag order on CHP and Slow Police Department. I honestly don't know if you can find anywhere in the nation where defense attorneys have asked that the police be gagged. From spreading false information, but congratulations, San Luis Obispo law enforcement—you now can be the the first organization that has has required that kind of request because you take to social media and spread false information. And and, and one more thing about that—I think as as attorneys on this case, I mean, I'm certainly interested in supporting. Uh, Law enforcement, especially good faith law enforcement. And I'm also very interested in supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. And I don't think that there should be a conflict there. I think that's been contrived in the media and exploited by people like Dan Dow. But I'm absolutely in support of law enforcement. And I can tell you that the number one thing that saves lives, in my opinion, that saves blue lives, is integrity. When you go out in the public and lie to them. People know it. It, it foments hate. People start to think about killing police officers and hurting police officers because a, they lose respect for them. And two, they start to resent them. Police officers cannot afford that. I don't want to see any other police officer ever get hurt. I hope nobody ever lays a finger on him, but it's a tough job. And I understand that that's probably going to happen. But you have to understand that using your social media platform to knowingly spread lies that your target audience largely knows is lies is harming law enforcement in every single way. And part of what we need to do, especially in San Luis Obispo, is restore integrity in each component of the criminal justice system. Uh, and, and definitely the district attorney's office, But but in law enforcement. Law enforcement, there's great cops down there. I know some great cops down there. There's some great DAs down there. I know great DAs down there, but the entities are sick. They have a, an illness, a form of cancer that has to be removed, and and unfortunately, that's at the leadership level. Dan Dow's got to go. The CHP captain has to go. They need to replace the the police chief uh, with somebody who's who's honest and has integrity and character. So it's interesting to see these things play out. You know, ultimately. It's bad for everybody for police to lie.
0: Is this a matter that this is a small town not used to dealing with these kinds of issues or is it more than that?
1: I think I, well, I'll let Vince speak uh, and then I have a couple comments. So I I have
3: a feeling that things like this happen frequently in small towns and small communities. This was just a unique situation in that Cantrell, the former police chief, and Dan Dow made such a large issue of it that it got our attention. And what I mean our attention is attorneys that are willing to travel anywhere in California to represent for free people that are accused of of, of crimes when there's kind of a, a power struggle between the people in charge and, you know, taking advantage of of you know, kind of young people that can't afford representation or or minorities that can't afford representation. Like I know Curtis, I, Brian, we, we take cases all over California that are similar where you have, you know, I'm reluctant to say, but kind of racist district attorneys or law enforcement or district attorneys or law enforcement that are abusing the power and discretion that they have to promote their personal agenda. Um, you know, we come in and represent them. And I think this happens all the time. It just is real subtle. This was just a unique case and that it exploded and it brought attention to a greater problem. I have no doubt that this is not an isolated incident in San Luis Obispo. You know, Brian can touch on this a little more, but he's been really aggressively fighting to get police records and district attorney records that, that document this, what we think is probably systemic racism. And and I'll let him talk about that part a little more.
2: Yeah, I, I absolutely think that the attorneys general needs to investigate the San Luis Obispo District Attorney's Office, you know. Um I mean, kind of getting to what you're asking about in terms of small small towns and whatnot. Um it, it's kind of related, I think, to the bad apple theory and all that, but you know, it's it, it's not that small towns in general are corrupt or anything. It's it's that you have power concentrated in finite places, and it's easier in small towns, I think, to, to seize power and get it in the hands of somebody who shouldn't have it. And you know, here you see how one district attorney's political agenda can shape the entire functioning of their office. Um, you know, it's important to realize again, you know, district attorney, the attorney general, those are the heads of law enforcement, right? The attorney general is the head of the DOJ it's the top law enforcement officer in the state. The district attorney is the top law enforcement official in each county. You know, when, when you have these agencies that are abusing their discretion or are or, or acting contrary to justice, uh, just like w- with our protesters here, our demonstrators and our defendants, all of law enforcement ends up getting painted with that same brush. And like Kurt was saying, you know, that that's bad for justice and law enforcement. That's bad for blue lives. And it's a, it's a price that's paid with having corrupt leaders. Um, so here, you know, we, we've got a situation where we got some pretty, I would say, historic wins in terms of disqualifying the district attorney's office. You know, you said you've been doing this for 15 years and you've only seen it happen once before. It doesn't usually happen you know um i've been practicing for a few years myself and i've only brought in one mergia discovery motion once before and that's that's the motion that compels uh, a prosecutorial agency to hand over files related to all their prosecutions so that you can establish a baseline of discrimination and it's exactly what we're talking about in terms of getting the district attorney's office investigated so in this case, we had Mergian and Armstrong Discovery ordered at the time the attorney general was handling the case because the district attorney had been recused. So the attorney general was ordered to produce this stuff. And by Haman and Han for over a month and pretending that they didn't know what they were talking about, and in fact, trying to delegate the discovery duties back down to the district attorney who was conflicted and had just been disqualified, they completely avoided their their duty to do that. And it's a duty that was created by the court explicitly saying, hand this stuff over. So here we are now, we're, we're trying to litigate that issue. We're trying to compel that discovery. And really, I think the attorney general needs to. It has every power, every ability. And it's under superior court order to do so, to get into the district attorney's files, dig through and figure out exactly what's going on here, answer some of these questions that we're asking about. How is it that only Black Lives Matter protesters are the ones that are being uh, charged here? How is it that these false allegations are getting promulgated through the media to the point where everybody's tried in advance of even an arraignment on the case, you know? Uh, to the point where, where you know, it's said that there's felony conspiracy charges against uh, protesters, where, you know, uh, uh, a broken windscreen gets painted out to be this horrific crime, uh, when in every other jurisdiction, if a if a driver runs over a protester, the driver's charged. Uh, if a Black Lives Matter protest goes off, the, the interests of justice know that unless there's a severe crime, severe property damage, looting, something like that, like hands off, like it's, it's First Amendment activity and it's a beautiful moment in time. Uh, so yeah, we, we need the Attorney General to step up here. Uh, we're, we're litigating that motion. We're trying to get them to step up. I think it's a matter of courage personally, because if I go back to Judge Guerrero's order, in addition to the pain that you saw in his eyes when he read it, what I was thinking is that it takes courage in a small town like this to call out corruption. It takes courage to stand on the line for justice. It takes courage to uphold the law, especially when you've got the most powerful law enforcement agency and the agent in the county abusing his discretion, and when you've got the office of the most powerful law enforcement agency in the state refusing to do anything. You know, uh, we, we should all be celebrating Judge Guerrero. He, he's a hero.
1: I have, um, David, I, I did want to add one thing to that. Your question essentially was: was is, is this been going on in slow in San Luis Obispo, or or is this just a, a, an isolated incident? And I I don't disagree. I, I actually agree with with Brian and Vince's perspective on that. But I want to add one thing. Um, the The difference is, and let me say before I add that is that I think San Luis Obispo County has a right to be as conservative as they want to be. They have a right to have a district attorney who reflects conservative values. That That's not an issue. It may not be reflective of my politics, or it may be, you know, who, who knows? But that's not the problem. The problem is that there is a crime in progress. Dan Dow is committing a crime, and it's much bigger than this case. If you look at the way he's positioning himself, and you pay close attention, he's a lot like an employee or a store manager who's been managing a store a long time, but after let's say eight years, your accountant calls and says, you know what, we're coming up short. Our, our, something is wrong with our finances. And you spend a long period of time, like, man, I could it be my manager. Could my manager be stealing from me? Dan Dow is stealing from San Luis Obispo County. He is trying to capitalize on the political atmosphere because he wants to be appointed to the federal bench. Dan Dow started to do all of this crazy right wing uh, activity, and he tried to use Tiana Arada to do it so that he could endear himself to Donald Trump. Dan Dow essentially is an attention whore. He's trying to attract national attention on his flagrant violation of the law. And who does that sound like? Donald Trump. Dan Dow saw this working for Donald Trump and Dan Dow tried to mimic it. And Tiana Arada essentially came right in the crosshairs. And the way we fought this case brought these other people in. But make no mistake about it, Dan Dow hopes Donald Trump will get reelected. Dan Dow is putting all of his money on placating to this particular agenda and platform so that he can get that judicial appointment. And, and, and so it's important for people to understand that, yes, there's systemic racism in San Luis Obispo. It's, it's really everywhere. San Luis Obispo probably is more severe than most places for uh, various reasons. It just has not been um, identified and, and, and remedied at this point, but we're in the process of doing that. But also Dan Dow is certainly um, unique in, in where he's trying to go with his career.
0: I, I do wanna make one uh, point on, uh, you mentioned how conservative San Luis Obispo is, but you know, in, in reality, the city of San Luis Obispo is actually pretty liberal. Uh, the surrounding area is, is much more conservative, but uh, you know, if you look at the last election, Biden was a plus thirteen in San Luis Obispo County. So we're not talking about a red county. Um, he's got uh, his core constituency, which is you know based in the rural uh, right-wing areas. Uh, but I, I, I did want to clarify that point.
1: I, I'm glad you clarified that, and it reminds me of of something. Um, you know, we, there is a lot of people right now that are really looking for a uh, a candidate to oppose Dan Dow in the next election. And, you know, it's it's been difficult for them to find. They would really like a high quality uh, district attorney candidate out of the San Luis Obispo County area to oppose Dan Dow. And And I don't think it, it you know, I think they're just looking for somebody who's honest and who's gonna diligently and dutifully discharge their duties um, because like, kind of like I think those numbers imply, um, you know, look, it, it doesn't matter whether you're Republican, Democrat or otherwise, um, citizens are not gonna tolerate corrupt politicians. And when it's put in their face, they will do something about it. And that's kind of what we're seeing unfold right now. So anybody is interested in that, in opposing Dandel for election, um, I can put you in touch with some people.
0: Very good. Uh, Anything else? Uh, Otherwise, I think we can wrap up at this point.
2: Thank you for everything you're doing, man. Uh, Like Kurt said at the top, uh, one of the most important roles in these sort of cases are the the media agents who are putting a spotlight on it. Uh, Corruption is like a bunch of roaches in a dark uh, kitchen, you know, you turn on the light and they all scatter. So uh, thank you.
0: I want to thank all of you guys for coming on, uh, sharing this fascinating and mind-boggling story. Um, and, you know, it's it's just a reminder. I remember growing up in San Luis Obispo. I graduated from high school 30 years ago now. Um, very few Black uh, students at, at the high school. In fact, I remember running into an African-American uh, years later, and I... Uh, uh, didn't know who he was, but I was able to list off five names, and uh, uh, when I got to the fifth one, he laughed and goes, "Yeah, you know, you ran out of black people when you got to me." <laughs> so the uh, the just uh, uh, at least you know, 30 years ago, it was a very white community, um, uh, you know. But uh, it was interesting to watch all of this unfold from afar. Um, didn't realize just how bad this was until I really uh, dove into it. So I want to thank you guys for sharing your story. And I think the other point uh, that, that needs to be hammered home is that it's easy to point the finger at Dan Dow here, but what the heck is the uh, AG's office doing, uh, you know, backing them every step of the way? This looks like Orange County all over again. So thanks for for joining us. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald, and join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system.